Everybody doing all right? So that was until you showed that video. Thanks, Pastor. Appreciate that. Jeff built this nice atmosphere, worship, and kind of stillness, and then I destroyed it. Good. So here we are. It's a new year, 2014. And we're starting a new series today called Breathing Room because maybe, maybe that video was a little to the extreme of your life. Some of you say, no, that is my life. But the truth is we're all kind of touched by this culture in which we live of nonstop activity, of continually doing stuff over and over again, new projects, same projects, family, work. And over the next few weeks, we're going to discuss this concept of developing breathing room in our lives. It's a biblical concept, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today, kind of the basis for that. But uh, I want to tell you kind of to start out the reason that it's important. And I, I found this in, a, in an interesting story that my guess is most of you aren't familiar with, even though it's in the Bible. Okay, You don't have to turn there. If you've got your Bibles and you want to turn somewhere, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 in a little bit. You can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. But there's this story in 1 Kings chapter 20. And in 1 Kings chapter 20, there's this story where God's people are at war with Syria. I know that's hard to imagine in our world, right? The same war has been going on for thousands of years. And so God's people are at war with Syria. Syria. Well, that too. But they were in Syria. And Ben-Hadad is the king of Syria. And he sends a threat to the king of God's people and says, Listen, I'm coming. I'm going to take everything you've got. I'm going to go through and find everything that is valuable to you. And I'm going to destroy your people and take it away. Unless you give me this. The prophets of God go to the king and say, Don't give it to him. God's going to deliver you. God is going to give you victory. You are going to capture him. Now, as happens in Scripture, when God says something to the prophets, it comes true, right? So the people of God, they get attacked by Syria. They defeat Syria. They capture the king. They capture this king, Ben-Hadad. But there was a problem. You see, God had told them to go and kill the king, to destroy him, that they wouldn't have to worry about him anymore. But the king of Israel was a guy named King Ahab. What do you know about King Ahab, anybody? Good king, bad king, he was bad. Like, really bad. And he says, I don't want to kill him. I want to make a deal with him. Hey, if you'll let us set up some shops in Damascus, I'll let you go. So he does. Let's him go. Well, the prophet of the Lord is not very happy about that. So he comes and he decides this scheme. He's going to look like a soldier returning from war and he's going to play kind of a trick on the king and to point out his error. And so he goes up to one of his servants. He says, I need you to punch me in the eye. And the servant says, no, I will not punch you in the eye. He says, because you have refused this, you will be eaten by a lion. It's kind of harsh, isn't it? So the guy goes out, guess what finds him? A lion, he gets eaten by a lion. That's a really cool part of the story there, all right? So then he goes to his next servant. He says, I need you to punch me in the eye. Guess what that servant does? He punches him in the eye, right? First guy wouldn't, he gets eaten by a lion. Second guy, it's a crazy story, all right? 
So he punches, he gets punched in the face. He looks like he's a soldier coming back from war. He wraps himself up. He goes to the king and he says to the king, hey, I was walking down the road. This guy came and said, I need you to watch this guy for me. And he said, if you lose him, it will be your life. And he says this phrase. But while your servant, that's me, was busy here and there, the prisoner disappeared. Now the point he was making was, he should have never let the prisoner go. Just like the king should have never let Ben-Hadad go. But what struck me is this phrase in the middle of the story that says, because I was busy here and there, the most important task of my life was undone. We live in a culture that is busy here and there. Constantly doing and spending and relating while the most important stuff slips away. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this concept of breathing room when it comes to our schedules and our relationships and our finances and how that God has called us to build those things into our lives in order that we can really live. Because for most of us, our lives are so full that we can't experience what God intends for us to experience. In fact, uh, the mental picture that I kind of got in my head the other day is that many of us, our lives are like a suitcase suitable for a four-day vacation that we've decided to put a seven-day vacation into. You know what I mean by that? I mean, one of those that we just keep stuffing and we just keep stuffing and we just keep stuffing. And it's one of those that you, you get the picture almost of someone sitting on it, trying to zip it up while they're sitting because I, got, I, I, got, I can't use a different one. And we just keep stuffing our lives with stuff. Now, part of that is because life is much more complex than it used to be. I mean, that's a fact. I don't have to tell you how complex life is, right? I mean, we know more stuff than we've ever known. And with more information comes more confusion. You can find information on anything you want to find information on. It may not be good information, but you can find it. I mean, just go to the grocery store and think about the complexity of the decisions you make there. Susan uh, decided this week she was going to make a, a new dish she found on Pinterest or uh, Facebook or Food Network, somewhere. It sent me a list of things. And on that list was just one simple thing that said Creole seasoning. Now, that sounds simple enough, right? I know in Publix where the spice aisle is. Have you seen how many spices there are now? Right? I saw Cajun seasoning. I saw stuff from the Near East, the Far East, the really Far East, I think. There was stuff all over the place. And I just couldn't help but think about how many choices and how complex life was. Even simple decisions are more complex. For some of you, things like the internet are not a good thing. Because it gives you endless research capabilities. And you're making a decision about something, you will research it to death. Right? We have complexity. Not only do we have complexity, we have more opportunity. Children have more opportunities today to do things than they've ever had. 
Senior adults have more opportunity today to do things than they've ever had. Teenagers, more opportunities. Young adults, more opportunities. Middle-aged adults, more opportunities. There's more opportunities for leisure. There's more opportunities for travel. There's more opportunities for cultural engagement. More opportunity to go overseas. Our lives just have more opportunities. My parents, this is a, a thing that I always find interesting. When I graduated high school, in fact, when I graduated college, my parents had never been to Florida. Now, some of you haven't been to Florida. It's not a big deal, you think. They had never been outside of about a 300-mile radius of Dyersburg, Tennessee. By the time I graduated college, I'd been on the beaches of Brazil. I've been to Florida about five times. I just have more opportunities. Eli is 10 years old, and he has already stood on a beach in Porto Seguro, Brazil. I mean, there are just more opportunities. And here's the thing. Because we can do more stuff, guess what we do? More stuff. The problem is that it affects who we are. You realize you don't have to make everything you see on Pinterest, right? Or do everything that your friends are doing on Facebook. There are studies out now that show the longer you spend on social media sites, the more depressed you are. And they're talking about, in some cases, clinical depression. You know why? Because I used to never know that some of you went and saw the really cool lights over on the other part of town. And now I see it like, well, we got to do that. It's Christmas. We got to do that. We're going to deprive our children of the dancing light at Jellystone if we don't go. Right? The Deckers went. We have got to go. Right? Just for a hypothetical situation, right? You know, you know what I mean, right? You get on there and you're like, oh, look, they're having so much fun. You know what people don't put on Facebook? When they're sitting at home doing nothing. And so when you get your Facebook, you think everybody's doing everything. We got to go do everything. And so Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, we're doing that. And we got to spend money to do all that because nothing is free. So you spin, spin, spin. You do, do, do. You're trying to get all your relationship in there and nothing happens. And before long, you have no space to breathe. You're like that suitcase that is packed to the gills and nothing to do. We live by these three kind of false statements, these lies that the culture tells us that we can have it all. You cannot have it all. You realize that, right? You, you know there was a guy in the Bible that did have it all, right? Anybody remember his name? Solomon, right? Solomon had it all. Have you ever read the book of Ecclesiastes? If not, go home and read that because here's what you'll find out. It is depressing. And it's written by the guy who had it all. Culture says you can have it all. You can't have it all. Culture says you can do it all. You cannot do it all. You can't. It's not going to happen. You can't have it all. You can't do it all. And you do not, although the culture tells you this, deserve it all. You just don't. And so you have to, we have to, we have to build margin into our lives. We have to have breathing room in our lives. Do you know what happens if you don't? I can tell you generally what first happens is you get really cranky. You ever notice that? Any of you spouses ever notice that? Say, I'm not raising my hand right now because they're cranky right now. We're not doing that. Right? 
Something happens and you get your life just packed and things are going and the next thing you know you're yelling about something that doesn't need to be yelled about. Isn't a big deal. But in that moment it's a big deal because you got so much stuff going on you can't deal with what you got to deal with and so you're going to deal with it in the way that you want to deal with it. Amen. Right. Deal with it. We just get cranky. Susan and I have been married 15 and a half years now. We're at the place where she can look at me and just say, what's going on? Because you've been cranky lately. You can't do that in the first year. Because in the first year, you don't, nobody gets cranky. Right? You just look at each other. That's all you do. You stare and put your arm around each other and watch TV at night. Right? No, that's not what you do either. By the time you get to like 30 years, it's just like, get over it. Right? But we need that breathing room. When we don't, we get focused on things that don't matter. But when life starts crowding in on us, what we find ourselves focusing on are the things that are crowding in on us and we lose perspective on the things that really matter. Our, our hearts are stolen from us. There's this parable that Jesus tells about a guy that goes out casting seed, just sowing seed. It says some of the seed fell on the ground that wasn't good at all and the birds came and they got it. And some of it fell on some really rocky, shallow soil. It started to come up, but it didn't really survive and it was done. But then the third one, it says, it gets in the ground and it looks like it's going to be really good. It starts to grow up. But then the worries of the world and the things of this life begin to choke it out. And I want to be honest with you. This series is not a here I've learned everything I'm telling you series. This is I am struggling with this and walking through it myself. And there are many times in my life when I feel like as that seed is growing, the worries of the world and the things of this life start to wrap around my heart and my soul and start to choke it out. Now, God speaks to this throughout Scripture. And the idea is that breathing room is just that area of our life that is the space between our load and our limit. Now, I don't care who you are, all of us have a limit. Amen? You didn't agree with that. All of us have a limit. Amen? Every one of us have a place that we cannot go past. That, that is our breaking point. No matter how strong you are, how tough you are, how you were raised, where you're from, what you do, what your work ethic is, no matter what it is, you have a limit. And all of us have a load. And what God intends is that there's some margin between those two. You know what margin is, right? Do you realize that I, I, in my uh, college career, my lowest grade on anything I turned in came because I got knocked down a letter grade for incorrect margins. And I, 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 I worked through that during the forgiveness series with that professor. But you know, you know, like it's the space, right, on the edge of papers. Nobody wants to pick up, nobody wants to pick up this Bible and they don't want to have words all the way around. You have white, you have margin, you have space. It allows you to have the freedom to see what's on the inside. And God says that we need margin in our lives. In fact, He spends the Old Testament teaching them that through principles, through word pictures. And Jesus reinforces it when we get to Matthew 6. So here's what we're doing the rest of the time. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 briefly. 
talk about the Old Testament and then come back to Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 31, says, So don't worry. Some of you say, Pastor, I'm done. No need to go past that. Because that's not going to happen. That New Year's resolution stuff you're talking about, I don't even need to, you know, we don't make them because it doesn't work. You don't even have to go farther because that's not going to work. Worry is a part of who I am. That's not my words. That's the words of Jesus. Don't worry, he says. Saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? I need to talk to my kids about that. What's for supper? Where are we going, right? Don't worry. He says, and then he puts this, he kind of turns it a little bit. He says, don't worry, because that's what idolaters do. Now, he doesn't mean godless people here. He means people that believe in the wrong gods, the wrong kind of gods, the God of gods that don't really care about us. He says, you are saying by your worry that you don't think God cares. In fact, he furthers that point by saying, idolaters seek, no, go back, there you go. Idolaters seek all these things, But your heavenly Father already knows that you need them. He already knows what you need. He says if you truly trusted the Lord, if you truly believed Him, you would know that He knows what you need. That deadline that's looming, He knows it. That financial hit that's coming, He knows it. That difficulty in your family, He knows it. That medical condition, He knows it. That issue in your relationship, He knows it. That downsizing at your company, He knows it. Verse 33. He says in the midst of all of that, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and everything else will be provided. He basically tells them that worry is a symptom of a lack of faith. And here's what I want you to hear and understand. I believe that at the root issue of our busyness, at the root issue of our overscheduling, of our overspending, of our stretching our relationships too far, that at the root issue is an issue of fear and worry. But what if? We start playing that game. Well, what if I don't do that? Or... Or may, we may even phrase it this way, I'm afraid. I, I, I'm afraid that, that I'll miss out. I, I'm afraid my kids will miss out. I'm afraid they won't have a, a great childhood because I didn't take them to see the sparkling lights of Jellystone. It sounds silly, doesn't it? But we say things like that. I'm afraid my family will miss out. I'm afraid I'll miss out. I'm afraid all this stuff will happen. I'm afraid we won't have what we're supposed to have. I'm trying to cram it all in because i got to get it all in because I don't want to miss out. So married families do that. Single people, as you're looking around and thinking, well, what does God have for me? And you just kind of, I don't want to miss this, and I don't want to miss that, I don't want to miss out here, and I don't want to miss out here. And so you you put stuff in your life all the time because I don't want to miss out. Retired people, I've only got a few years left. I don't want to waste them. I don't want to miss out. I don't, I don't want to miss what's going to happen here. I don't want to miss my grandkids' life. I don't want to miss my children's life. I don't want to miss. I'm scared. Some of it's just fear of falling behind. That's what I was talking about earlier with the, the Facebook and the Pinterest and all that. You look around and you think, I'm just not keeping up. I'm not the same thing. We, we did a series here uh, 
a while back called Comparison Trap where we talked about comparing ourselves to other people. We look and we compare and we think, well, they are doing this and I'm not even doing that. We haven't even got close. I can't do that. Well, why am I? I'm, I'm falling behind. I've got to catch up. Some of it is we're scared. We have fear of not mattering much. I just want to make a difference. I just want to matter. If I'm not doing all this stuff, I'm not mattering. And what's interesting is sometimes the fear of not mattering causes us to do a bunch of stuff that in the end doesn't matter. And so we spend and we stretch relationships and we cram everything in. And what Jesus tells us basically in that Matthew 6 is that fear, worry, is an issue of faith. You don't trust God to be who He says He is or to do what He says He will. Now the Old Testament, three quick pictures we're going to talk about. In the Old Testament, God wanted to demonstrate this to His people, and so He gives them some things to kind of think about. And The first one comes at a place when we would think God gives some rules. God calls these slaves out of Egypt. He has to give them a structure in which to live. And so He calls Moses up on a mountain, and what does He give Moses on the mountain? What does He give him? Gives them the law, right? Ten Commandments, the law. Now, we call it the Ten Commandments, but there are really over 600 commandments, but there were ten big ones, right? And one of the big ones, in fact, is remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And you're like, well, good. I'm glad about that because I only work five days a week. I got two Sabbaths. That's kind of not the point there, but we can talk about that some other day, all right? But here's the thing that I want you to realize. In their culture... Taking a day off, taking a moment of 24 hours off every week was major. It was countercultural. Nobody was doing it. And here's the reason nobody was doing it. It's because it meant you had to trust that everything was going to be okay. They were an agricultural society. They grew their food. And every day there was something that needed to be done. There was something that needed to be protected. There was something that had to be taken care of. And so on the Sabbath, if you look out and things are going bad, guess what you had to do? Nothing. You trusted the Lord. And the Lord was teaching them not that, hey, take a week because you just got to sleep all day, you just got to rest. He was teaching them Everything in this life is not dependent on you. Depend on me. So for 24 hours, don't do anything. Now, the truth is we act like we have a Sabbath because we have a weekend. But how many of you for 24 hours don't do anything? I'm not talking about like, well, if you add up how many hours I sleep during the week, I might get to 23 or so. I'm talking about for 24 hours. You don't do anything. That's a major commitment. And then he talks to them about not just their schedule. He talks to them about their money. He says, and I need you to give me 10%. Set that aside. This is not a giving sermon. okay? But the point of tithing, of putting aside 10% for the Israelites, for the people of God in those days, was not because God needed the money. It was to show faith that they could live on less than they made, that they had margin in their life, that they had this ability to live on what God provided. So they set it aside. And then there was this last one that you're probably not real familiar with, and we don't talk about a lot, but it was called the Law of Gleanings. How many of you came today expecting to be blessed by the law of gleanings? That's what I thought. 
Here's what it says in Leviticus, that book that you all read for your devotionals every morning. In Leviticus, he goes to him and he says one more thing, okay? He says, when you are harvesting your field. Now, now I know that many of you are not farmers, okay? You may have known one at one time or not, other. In general, what do you think the goal of the harvest is? How much of the harvest do you want to get? All, right, is the correct answer, right? All is what you want. God says when you harvest, leave a space on the edges of your field that you do not harvest. He said, leave a margin on the edges that you don't take. And he says, and when you're going through the field and you accidentally drop a grape or something falls out of what you're collecting with, don't go back and pick it up. Let it lie where it is. And he says it in two reasons. One is that's for people that can't have their own field. It's to help the poor and the widows. But then he says this. He says all that. Go make an edge around the field. When you drop something, don't go pick it up. Which some of you, that would, you just could not handle that. He says, and remember that I am the Lord your God. He basically tells them that leaving the margins and letting the stuff fall and the gleanings happen Shows your trust that God will take care of you. Do you know what our overstuffed lives show? They show a lack of faith in our God. And some of you said, but I, I don't have any choice in the matter. Yes, you do. Scripture reminds us that we all have choices. Over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about that in some practical ways. And don't check out on me because some of you have said, all right, well, I know the month of January is a wash because this is something happening. You don't know my life, Pastor. You don't know what's going on. There's no way I'm gaining margin financially. There's no way that my schedule is gaining margin. There's no, it's just not going to happen. I, I'm talking about margin. I'm talking about breathing room. When I say breathing room, I'm talking about not having to drive 80 to the next location because you haven't run from one place to the other. I'm talking about breathing room. I'm talking about sitting down for a dinner at night with the family and not having to pause 14 devices and eat as quickly as possible to get to the next thing. I'm talking about breathing room where you have a moment in the morning to get your mind and your attention in the right place before the day begins. I'm talking about breathing room where your relationships have moments to be able to just be with one another. I'm talking about breathing room where at the end of the month there is actually a little bit of money left. I'm talking about space. Now, it is not going to be easy. You're not going to be able to do it outside of the Lord. But here's what I'm asking you for. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then everything else will be added. So here's what I'm asking you. In 2014, as we start this year, as we begin this journey together of this year, His year, will you at least commit that you will begin this week to seek first the kingdom and that you'll begin to ask, 
where margin needs to be developed in your life, where breathing room needs to be established. Let's pray together.